What up fam, I'm Elena, a certified nutrition coach, personal trainer, and hormone specialist. I'm a former public educator turned holistic fitness coach, and I'm on a mission to disrupt diet culture and educate individuals on how they can heal their gut issues, hormone imbalance, and food relationships caused by chronic dieting, inflammation, and autoimmune or chronic illness. My philosophy for coaching is simple. Eat more, move better, feel amazing, because life is too short to feel like shit. So let's dive in. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of What the Funk. Today, we're doing a bit of a not specific case study because I'm not just talking about the considerations for one specific client that I've done this with, but just as a general concept, how you can use the application of blood glucose monitoring to help your clients manage insulin resistance specifically. Now, Blood glucose monitoring is one of my absolute favorite tools in the toolbox when it comes to doing the type of work that I do with my clients. Um, insulin and blood glucose and the information that we get from this can help us so much in identifying um, optimal information when it comes to how the body responds to certain foods, how the body responds to stress, how the body responds to caffeine, how the body navigates things on good sleep, on poor sleep, when it comes to travel. And in the case of insulin resistance, um, this is one of my favorite scenarios to use it for. My other favorite scenario to use it is for individuals who are high stress or who are struggling with adrenal issues. So these were what I would maybe consider adrenal clients. Um, and when they come to work with me, and that's kind of the verbiage that my coach colleagues and I use is we talk about like our adrenal clients and our PCOS clients and our Hashimoto's clients and our thyroid clients and our um, gut issues clients. And then we have our, you know, hot mess express clients, which is they have a little bit of everything because that does happen because all of this stuff is related. Um, but specifically today, talking about insulin resistance so that hopefully this is something that either you as a consumer or you as a coach might be able to start introducing into your own health practice or your own coaching practice, okay? So um, essentially what we want to do, uh, it, there's also the third case where we would maybe want to optimize if you have an intermediate to advanced client who's performing at a very high level, um, optimize somebody's resistance training with their period workout nutrition um, and their meal timing to get to that next level with their performance and their um, athletic outcomes. So um, first of all, let's talk about what is insulin resistance. So I've done some episodes on this before, so I'm just going to go over the too long, didn't read the TLDR of insulin resistance. So um, insulin's main function is to manage excess glucose that doesn't get stored in the muscle tissue, fat tissue, or in the liver. Um, it, proper insulin management improves the uptake of fatty acids and reduces their breakdown and release into the bloodstream, which is where we see that impact on insulin resistance and elevated cholesterol. Um, and then insulin resistance specifically is when the body has been working to produce excess amounts of insulin to help manage excess blood glucose, but the tissues, your fat, your muscle, your liver, they stopped responding to that insulin output, leading to elevated insulin levels within the bloodstream and elevated glucose levels. So um, we have this hyperinsulinemia, which is elevated insulin, and you have an elevated blood glucose, and you likely also have elevated cholesterol. And we're gonna talk about what those labs you would wanna look for to see if you might be dealing with potential insulin resistance. It's not necessarily like, 
you know, some doctors will acknowledge it and some doctors won't likely what will happen is if they think you're insulin resistant, they'll put you on something like metformin, which is, I would not recommend. You could very easily manage this via lifestyle changes. Um, and that's one of the brilliant things about insulin resistance is that it's a, usually a lifestyle issue unless somebody maybe has like a predisposition to being insulin resistant because of a chronic illness. For example, individuals who are hyperandrogenic with PCOS are going to be more prone to developing insulin resistance, but that doesn't mean that it can't be managed and overcome even in that scenario. And I have seen that done before. Um, so how does this happen? So lifestyle, like I said, or underlying chronic illness implications that put somebody at a higher risk of developing insulin resistance. Also potential genetic risk for diabetes might come into play. Um, genetics do play a role in health and health outcomes. Um, you know, think about it this way, genetics loads the gun, environment and lifestyle pulls the trigger. So you might be genetically predisposed to something, but the choices that you make in your day-to-day -day life are what are going to determine if you tip over that edge or not. So poor stress management, physiological or psychological, um, a lack of nutrients in your diet. Um, so really following kind of a standard American diet where the majority of your food today came out of a package. And when was the last time you ate a vegetable? Did you eat a vegetable or fruit at three meals a day? Where was your protein from? Did you get some protein in with your breakfast? Was it actually from like a single ingredient plant-based or animal-based protein? No? Okay. Didn't think so. Maybe it was. If it was, great. But most of you are probably going, oh shit. By the way, coffee is not a breakfast. Protein coffee is not breakfast. Girl breakfast is not cute. Girl dinner is not cute. Start eating real meals, you guys. Um, I know how hard that is. Trust me. I get it. I have ADHD and so I have major issues of food. But we have to do better if we want our health to be taken care of. Okay. You've got to do better. So I'm going to show you how you can do better if you haven't been doing better and you are now maybe dealing with some insulin resistance or you have a client who's dealing with insulin resistance and you want to figure out what to do about it. So, um, also poor sleep will lead to issues with insulin resistance. Um, so this poor stress management as well as poor sleep kind of combine for poor cortisol management, um, which will impact blood glucose management within the body. So issues with cortisol will usually inevitably lead to issues with blood sugar management and insulin response. Um, alcohol, if you, even if you are just a casual drinker and you're having like maybe a drink two or three nights a week, that will also contribute to insulin resistance. And then, um, high intake of processed foods, fried foods and foods in high foods that are higher in saturated or trans fats. So just basically a lack of nutrients with a lot of processed foods in your diet. And again, not to say that processed foods are bad. I definitely had like a chocolate bar the other day, but that's like one very small piece of my entire day where 90% of my foods I could identify with a single word, medicine, eggs, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, potatoes, rice, sweet potatoes, right? Um, what is the other vegetable I had? Oh, berries, I had mixed berries, I had a smoothie, had a little bit of protein powder in there. Protein powder is technically a processed food guys, but it was in the mix. So again, can you name the majority of your foods from the day with a single title or was it something that came out of a package and was it fried, right? I don't know. I'm just asking again, there's a way to fit those things in, but they're probably taking too much room in, up in your diet. Diet not being something that you're doing to lose weight. Diet just being the selection of foods that you eat on a daily basis. All right, biofeedback for insulin resistance. So what is somebody going to be experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis if you are struggling with insulin resistance? Um, I want to make it very clear that your body size is not biofeedback for insulin resistance. 
Um, any body size or body type can develop insulin resistance. So even in somebody who is in a smaller body can lack the muscle tissue and have an imbalance between their lean mass and adipose tissue that can contribute to the development of insulin resistance. So um, I've seen this time and time again too, specifically with my PCOS girlies. Uh, if you're a female and you get diagnosed with PCOS and you're over 200 pounds, they're probably going to tell you you're insulin resistant. And that's not always the case. I have seen it be quite the opposite, in fact. Um, and so body size is not the first thing that I look for when it comes to somebody being insulin resistant. Things that I'm going to look for is what does your lifestyle look like? Okay. What does your food intake typically look like? Are you exercising on a regular basis? How is your sleep? Those are going to be factors that play into your risk of insulin resistance. And then I'm going to talk to you about what are your cravings like? Do you have high hunger signals out of nowhere? Are you having mood swings and big energy swings due to your poor blood glucose management, right? Um, and so those are the things that we're looking for. Additionally, I also like to rely on lab work when it comes to this. Um, here's the thing is insulin resistance is one of those things where you're not going to treat it like with a medication, right? And it's not a disease. It's just a lifestyle state of being. Um, but having the labs can kind of really help decide, okay, no, this is exactly Exactly what we're dealing with, or you might just have a uh, an inkling that we might be dealing with something. Um, so you have elevated fasted blood glucose, uh, elevated fasted insulin, right? Because in this scenario, both your insulin and your glucose are going to be too elevated. You're going to have high high triglycerides and low HDL. So your triglyceride to HDL ratio is going to be off. Ideally, we want this much lower. Um, and then you're also going to have an elevated A1C, which is your average blood sugar level over the course of three months. Now, if you are dealing with recent development of insulin resistance, your A1C may be in a slightly normal range. It may just be below elevated, but you, it will eventually probably flag as being elevated on labs. Um, and why, again, is it important to manage and overcome insulin resistance? Um, it's one of those first metabolic adaptations that people develop on the road to type 2 diabetes. Um, and the path is insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, and then type 2 diabetes. And again, this is lifestyle implications. This is a lifestyle choice development, um, and it can be reversed. Um, this can also signal the potential risk of chronic or autoimmune disease because insulin resistant is by nature inflammatory due to the impact on lipolysis and poor blood glucose management. Um, what I said earlier about how um, the insulin's one of insulin's primary functions is to help improve the uptake of fatty acids and reduce their breakdown into the bloodstream. Um, that's going to have that impact on inflammation and put you at higher risk of developing chronic or autoimmune disease and dealing with systemic inflammation. Okay. So now that we've gone over all of that information and maybe your brain feels like it's going to explode, maybe it doesn't. There's a couple different ways that you can test. So I'm going to first talk about using glucose strips, using test strips for insulin resistance, because this sort of finger prick scenario is the most accessible um, option for people. Um, this is a something that we have to keep in mind can sometimes be a little bit pricey. So for example, like 30 days, uh, 25 days of test strips can cost like $50. And if you're testing twice a day, that's going to add up very, very quickly. However, if you have insulin resistance and it's been acknowledged by your medical provider, you may be able to request a prescription for your test strips, um, or even a continuous blood glucose monitor. And I'll talk about those in a second. Um, and they are FAT, FSA, HSA, and 
FSA available? Did I get those acronyms right? I don't have one of those accounts. What is it? HSA. I'm literally Googling this right now. HSA or I can type HSA or FSA. Oh, I did that right. Yeah. That sounded weird. Do you guys ever do that where you say something and you're like, that seems right, but it sounds wrong. Like I have one of those moments just now. It's like when you say a word too frequently and you're like, this word is starting to sound fake. Okay. Anyway, um, they are FSA and HSA, FSA and HSA eligible devices. So check with your specific insurance provider, but you might be able to get coverage for something like this. Um, since glucose monitors, most of them are FDA cleared. They're FDA cleared devices. So what we're really looking for is a testing your fasted glucose in the AM. And ideally what we're wanting it to be is I like, because by the time you actually do your finger prick, somewhere between like 80 to 95 in the morning. My happy place for the majority of individuals is we're going to be between like 86 to like 92 fasted in the morning. Um, if you are testing above 100 or in the 110s or even in the 120s fasted in the morning, that's probably an issue. You know, you might be experiencing also dawn phenomenon, which is where there is a glucose dump sort of right before awaking. However, um, if you have the additional biofeedback of insulin resistance, and your A1C is elevated and your cholesterol is through the roof, we're not going to be contributing that to DOM phenomenon. We're going to be contributing that directly to insulin resistance. So that's kind of neither here nor there. And then we want to test postprandial. So this is going to be after two hours after eating. Um, blood glucose should be regulated back to normal within two hours. And depending on the individual, we're looking at less than 120 or less than 140. Um, I like between that, between 120 and 140, um, so is sort of like a happy place two hours after eating like a full-sized meal. And this is why meal timing when it comes to managing insulin resistance can also be a good strategy to play because if you're eating and you're not waiting the proper amount of time for your body to downregulate your glucose, um, you continuously have elevated glucose and your body's continuously splitting out insulin. And so that can also be a contributing factor to it. Now, if you really want to get nitty gritty, you can do a pre-breakfast test around eight o'clock, a pre-lunch a post-lunch, so an hour before lunch and two hours post-lunch, and then an extended post-lunch two hours after your post-lunch. So that might be like an 8 a.m., an 11 a.m., a 2 p.m., and like a 5 p.m., right? So you're doing your morning and then an hour before your lunch, two hours after lunch, and then three, four hours after lunch. Yes? Yes, I did that right. Then four hours after lunch, Okay. And that will tell you how your body is managing blood glucose and how long it takes you to regulate. Okay. Considerations again, we all want to keep in mind the cost, but you're also going to make sure that for proper readings that you do calibrate your device according to the um, device instructions itself. Most glucose monitors will have calibration instructions on the website. So whatever device that you get, just make sure you're calibrating it before you start relying on the numbers because that can skew things quite a bit. Um, and so that's what we use this. Now, if you're interested in doing a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor, um, these are quite fun. These are actually kind of like all the rage now. Um, I feel like I keep seeing like there's things like Nutrisense that pop up and different, uh, different pieces. There's another one one that I can't remember what it's called, but it's like, you have to, you, you, it's like $300 a month at a minimum for your test strips for the next six months. And then you get some information back on it. But again, 
I kind of like take this with a grain of salt because continuous glucose monitoring, people don't want to always wear that for that long of a time. Like I actually just took one off. I was wearing one recently um, and I wanted to take a couple days off of wearing it or maybe take a week off of wearing it and then maybe stick it back on because I'm utilizing it myself right now for not only my own devices, but also seeing how I can, I was testing it to see how does this potentially fit into my clients use case scenarios in which clients would this be really beneficial for. And I have a couple clients that have now opted in because I can get them access to glucose monitoring with an app that allows them to track their food directly in the app and track their exercise, track their energy, track their fatigue, um, and track even things like a cup of coffee or having an alcoholic drink. And we can see in real time how their body responds to this continuous monitoring and the continuous monitoring, it's checking it every five minutes. We can see exactly how their body is responding to these types of stimulus. And so it's very easy to make nuanced decisions and adjustments based on um, the impact of sleep, the impact of stress, the impact of meal timing, nutrient pairing, exercise, non-activity thermogenesis or NEAT. So like daily steps and use all that information to help improve insulin response or insulin sensitivity, I should say. The benefit to having kind of this continuous monitoring is that you don't have to worry so much about like pricking your finger at the exact right time um, of day. Now, these sensors also do require some degree of calibration, but they're a lot easier. You wear them for two weeks. Um, depending on the sensor, you're putting it maybe on your back, you're putting it on the back of the arm. The ones that my clients and myself use go on the back of the arm and they get two sensors for $75. So, um, you know, when we look at the cost of your test strips, if you're doing 25 test strips for $50 and you have to test anywhere from two to four times a day. Well, doing the CGM is a much more cost-effective thing long-term. If we want to do some monitoring, ideally over the course of maybe three months is what the sort of the ideal time frame. because the first step, if you're thinking of, okay, how now, how do I use this to um, make decisions about my health or make decisions about my client's protocols? The first thing you're going to do is you're just going to monitor for like maybe three to five days and see, okay, without making any changes, what is the current response that my client is having to their nutritional choices, to their exercise? Um, how does their poor sleep or effective sleep have a positive or negative impact on this? And then you start using that to drive data decisions. Okay, we're gonna change the timing of this meals and we're gonna change the nutrient pairings here. Okay, we're gonna make sure that on the days that you don't exercise that you at least go take a walk for 20 to 30 minutes because on the days that you do no exercise at all, your um, time in range reduces by 15%. Um, and that's really one of the really cool things is the app that I use that gives us that data. We'll tell somebody over the course of the day day, um, what was your variability of your blood glucose and how long during the day, you know, how much time did you spend in your, an appropriate glucose range, um, based on you as an individual. And so you can say, okay, based on the decisions that you made on this day, this impacted it. And on this day, this is what happened. So these are the things that we want to bring in more of, and it can be very, very eye opening. The other thing that's really cool is it can actually be extremely motivating. So for somebody like me, who's very data driven, and I like to have the information firsthand, I can see exactly. Um, and I did a, for science, I did for science, eat an entire two servings of Trix cereal <laughs> just to see what would happen. I'm like, I'm kind of curious. And it helped me put a couple pieces of the puzzle together. And I realized that the breakfast that I was eating pre-workout was really not fantastic from an energy standpoint because I was eating too many carbs 
because at one point I was coached to do that. And I kept doing that just because that's what I did for years. And I realized that that was actually very suboptimal because it completely tanked my energy. I had a huge glucose crash after I had that meal. And that's not ideal when you're on your way for like a lower body day. Like that's the last thing that you want to happen is get the sleepies on the way to the gym after eating your breakfast, right? So it was really quite interesting. And so it was allowed me to kind of adjust in real time. Okay, this was not ideal. So what can I do instead? Or do I need to not necessarily change how many carbs are in that meal? Do I need to bring in some more fiber or some more protein to help and see what this response turns into? Um, and then monitor my energy levels, right? And I had never put the morning fatigue in together with the meals until I realized that three days in a row, I clocked fatigue after eating certain meals and I noticed the trend because I could visually see it happening. And so it changes how I think about food. It doesn't mean I'm going to avoid eating cereal, but it's maybe going to be like, hmm, I'm maybe not going to have that as like a pre-workout meal. Right. Or maybe not going to have that as like a midday snack and then want to take a nap directly after when I still have to go back to work. Um, and for somebody who I'm always on the air on the side of like, I want my clients to know what's going on with their bodies. I want them to feel empowered and have the knowledge. I want them to be an active participant in their health. For a lot of my clients, that information can be very motivating and it can improve somebody's adherence to what they're doing and it can improve their overall outcome because they're learning so much more about their body. So using blood glucose to help improve your insulin resistance or just, just health in general can be a really, really powerful tool. So what you're going to want to do is after you have been taking this data, so let's say you're not using a continuous blood glucose monitor, you are using the glucose strips and you're doing your fasted and your postprandial after about a week of monitoring, you're going to make sure you're reporting that data somewhere. So if you have a logbook where you can keep it, or if your coach starting a daily log for your clients where they can fill in this data into like a Google form. So it populates in a spreadsheet that you can see over the course of time. Okay. That's going to be really beneficial. You can start to correlate the outcomes of your blood glucose ratings to the behaviors of the certain days. And again, that's what will drive the decision-making for what somebody's program looks like long-term. Um, and that because you're no longer guessing at what the right decisions are going to be for that individual, because not every response to the same strategies in the same way, you're going to have a much easier time beating back and managing and overcoming the insulin resistance and learning exactly what it is that you need to do to continue to manage it and keep it at bay. So that way you have lowered cholesterol, your triglycerides are where they need to be. Your HDL has come back up where it needs to be. Your insulin sensitivity has improved. So now that you're, you're going to be managing and reducing that inflammation within your body and you're going to be much healthier. And then you can focus on whatever it is that you're trying to focus on for your big long-term health goals. All right. Hopefully this was an interesting uh, topic for you guys. I absolutely love using glucose monitoring um, and hopefully the application of either using a uh, testing test strip test style of monitor or a continuous glucose monitor. Um, I'm going to leave my links to the same app that I use of my clients for glucose monitoring down below, not just for consumers who will maybe want access to this information. Um, because the app in and of itself will also give you a lot of data that you can use to make decisions. Um, but also for any coaches who are maybe interested in joining and having this as a resource for their clients at a much lower cost. That's easy. That's pretty, you know, 
it would be very reasonable for somebody to add this onto their coaching versus just wondering. And again, when we look at the cost of test strips versus a glucose monitor, maybe even doing the glucose monitor is going to be more cost effective for somebody than trying to get all of the test strips for over the course of three months. So um, I'll make sure to leave those links down below in the show notes. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Uh, it was such a good time. If you have any questions about this topic, my DMs are always open. And if you did enjoy today's episode, snap a screenshot, post it on your stories, tag me at elena.m.fit. I'll catch you on the next one. What up fam? I'm Elena, a certified nutrition coach, personal trainer, and hormone specialist. I'm a former public educator turned holistic fitness coach, and I'm on a mission to disrupt diet culture and educate individuals on how they can heal their gut issues, hormone imbalance, and food relationships caused by chronic dieting, inflammation, and autoimmune or chronic illness. My philosophy for coaching is simple. Eat more, move better, feel amazing, because life is too short to feel like shit. So let's dive in.